Hello, lovelies. I have been thinking a lot about death lately. To be honest with you, more people have died around me in the last few months than in the previous few years. And that's a lot. That's a lot of death. Not just my friends, but I'm also seeing my uh, dear friends lose their loved ones too. And that might even break my heart more than when I feel the suffering myself. Chance has been on me for years to do a study on the various books of the dead. And it might indeed be timely to do so now. But for now, I wanted to share an idea with you that struck me deeply. One that I had actually wondered about for a very long time. When I was really young, I hooked up with this older man. You know, the really good-looking, complete mess, only likes younger women type. Because women, older, wiser women would laugh at their stupidity, right? You know, those kind. (laughs) Well, at some point in our tumultuous on-again, off-again relationship, he told me on the telephone that if I did not take him back, he was going to kill himself. I might have been 18 or something at the time, and I was flabbergasted by the thought of it. (laughs) And I ran running into my daddy's room and cried my little eyes out. And dad, for the most part, was a great dad, and he agreed to come with me to the airport to pick up the said boyfriend the next day. And as soon as he was in earshot, daddy launched into this really powerful monologue about how pathetic this man was to attempt such a manipulation on a young girl, I think. Anyway, even though I can't recall the exact words, I remember whatever my father said landing on this pathetic soul, each one a poignant blow and instructive, I believe, as he never tried to pull that suicide business on me again. And that was my first blush with suicide. And (laughs) I wish I could say it was the last. Since then, lovers have played the suicide card on me more times than I would like to count. And so I've thought a lot about it, really, more than I wanted to. It was not until this year that I ran into a real one. One of my favorite Facebook friends decided to end his own life on his own terms. He was a fascinating man, and there is a story here that I will save for another day about his thoughts on what to do when you die in regards to the light, the light you see when you're dead. But suffice it to say that even with what I believe to be a decision I would probably make also under those circumstances, I still had all these questions. First question I had about it was, why is suicide considered a sin? In thinking about this, I always looked at my own life, and particularly when I was younger, I could easily describe my own lifestyle as slow-motion suicide. I worked way too hard and played way too hard and could have easily ended up in an early grave. 
So then how is that not suicide? How is that not a sin? I wondered if it was a timing thing. Like if your actions take three seconds like pulling a trigger or three minutes like folding a noose, is that what makes it suicide rather than smoking cigarettes for 30 years? Could God, the universe, really make that distinction? (laughs) Right? Like the whole thing seemed insane to me. But clearly men did, men and women, humans did. Because a swift death by one's own hand was always spoken of with hushed tones of embarrassment, maybe. I don't know. In addition to all the other feelings felt at a funeral, there was negative connotations attached to it. Absolutely, right? But then I was thinking about one of those heroes from the past that fought a battle they knew they would lose and die in, but they fought it anyway, but for some indelible principle. You know, was that a suicide? But back to the cigarettes for a moment, because it really is a perfect example. What if you believed that cigarettes were good for you? What if you were told they were good for you because nine out of ten doctors smoke camels? And they killed you because of you believed what you were told. Would that be suicide? Would it be suicide if I told you that smoking was bad for you, showed you the facts in the YouTube videos, and you did not listen to me and smoked anyway because you believed the 9 out of 10 doctors smoke camels? So, like, where does the boundary lie (laughs) And what, if any, is the repercussions of it if it is deemed a suicide? Like what happens in the afterlife, right? Now, I know all this hinges on more Christian teachings and that my mind defaulted to the grooves installed as a child. But the whole package of ideas around how one lives their life, of one's culpability around one's own death, and what may be the result of those decisions and actions after death have been the concern, I guess, since at least ancient Egypt, right? (laughs) And so even with my biases, I've tried to wrap my head around it all and in truth could never come to a satisfactory answer as my indoctrination was simply too strong. So the other night I couldn't sleep and there was a YouTube called It's time you knew the whole truth, but don't freak out. (laughs) Well, of course I had to click on that. And to my surprise, it was a recording of Esther Hicks talking to a man whose mother had suicided a week earlier. And I'm like, "Eh, not for me. I really haven't listened to any Esther Hicks. And I was about to click off when Esther said... Well, it must have been a tremendous relief for her. Was it for you? That's my best Esther voice. (laughs) Her comment and her question were so direct that it simply stunned me. There was no nuance of shadow or pity or judgment or the usual negative connotations that I was used to hearing, including within my own head when the topic was being explored. She had me hooked. 
This felt like the first time I'd been introduced to an alternate view on the subject, even though I was taught that every soul chooses its own death, that idea had not landed until that moment. I will play it for you, but before I do, I want to share with you why I thought this was so important. Every day we make decisions that could affect the outcome of our lives. When the doorbell rings, do we run to the door straight from the shower and slip, slap our head? I don't know. Do we drink and drive? Do we have that cigarette? Do we take that vaccine or do we not? Do we sleep with that hot guy without protection? Or do we be good girls and work ourselves to the bone, taking on all the stress and all the responsibility, even when it's not ours? When we make these decisions, we don't know if they might be the most critical decision of our lives or a life-ending decision. We may not even think about it at all and just go ahead and do it. But when our friends or our partners or our loved ones make these decisions and suffer the ramifications, then I know at least I, for one, had thoughts, judgments, sadness, frustration, anger, and especially anger at those that made my friends suffer for making those very decisions (laughs) that ended up in their deaths. Slow or fast, faster or slower. But when the idea really landed for me that every death is self-inflicted, I was set free of that judgment, for now anyway. Have a listen and let me know your thoughts. We want to start by acknowledging that there is only life. Yes. And that sometimes your life is focused here in this physical body, and we want you to take a sort of downstream glance as Mm. you acknowledge that everyone who you know who is in physical form is going to experience that. In other words, Mm -hmm. they're going to experience the death experience. Mm -hmm. And then we want to say, not just in an effort to soothe you or soften your resistance around this or anyone else who's listening in, but because it is absolutely the way that it is, because everyone is the creator of their own experience. Every death is Mm self-inflicted as is everything else. So you want to be able to say and know that every death is suicide, but the word suicide has that negative attachment to it. And the negative attachment that many people place upon it, besides the religious connotations that they have conjured, but the one that you are fashioning here, is about the feeling that there could have been other ways of going about this, and shouldn't she have tried some other things? Esther remembers receiving news like this of a dear friend that she had met through her Abraham work. And 
When she received word that this woman had taken her own life, the thoughts that were going through Esther's mind was, this is wasted life. It's a waste because it didn't have to be that way. We had to sneak up on her when she wasn't thinking about it and sort of throw a thought in that eventually soothed her back into alignment. As we said to Esther, you can't waste life because life is eternal. So before you come into your physical body, you are a stream of consciousness, and there's no resistance in that stream. You are pure, positive energy. Then you're born into your physical body, and it separates a bit just because of, even as an infant, your observation of what's going on in that limited world. Your vibration is not as pure as it was just by your attention to your surroundings and to how your parents feel and so on. For the most part, you are trained, even as little children, into a responsible observation of life experience that serves to separate you more and more. Thus, the answer that we gave to the little child who said, why are grown-ups so grumpy? The longer they live, the more they find to push against and cause further and further separation in their vibration. Then some, especially those who powerfully remember this feeling of alignment, will find drugs or they'll use alcohol. They'll find something to attempt to close this gap. And to the extent that the substance distracts them from what they're fussing and worrying about, they do achieve a sort of vibrational uh, relief or change in it. So then they're disconnected. They find meditation. They come into alignment. They come out of meditation and they start worrying again. They go out of alignment. They go to sleep. They come back into alignment. They wake up. They come out of alignment. They take a nap. They go into alignment. They wake up. They go out of alignment. They find something to appreciate. They come into closer alignment. They find something to criticize. They go more out of alignment. In other words, most people are not tending to this on purpose. But the more they live life, the more this calls them. And the more this calls them when they're doing this, the worse it feels. Until some, like your mother, who remember at very deep levels, begin to hear the call of source. And the call of source, people don't want to hear this, sometimes the call of source, that death experience is a closing of the gap. Hmm. Talk about a quantum leap. Talk about a moving of vibration powerfully, you see. There are those who want to control the conditions of your life, who would tell you that you don't even have the right about that. And we want to say to everybody who attempts to control anybody, you can't do it. And to the extent that you try to do it, you're messing up your own life. So we would say about those like your mother and to them as well, that that decision was not easy in coming. And that powerful decision was an act of deliberate creation. And it was the ultimate in discovering what allowing truly is, because in one fell swoop, there was a releasing of all contradicted energy and a reemerging back into pure positive energy. So we know that there are many, even those in this room, who are not having any of this from us. In other words, Esther remembers another friend who had been listening to Abraham for quite some time. And she was very upset with Abraham because she felt like Abraham's perspective on death was such that it had literally given her daughter permission to take her own life. And we said to this grieving mother, so what was your daughter's life like? And she described briefly 
the intensity of the pain and struggle and strain that she was living. And we said, and you would wish her to return right now to that rather than to this pure positive energy that she's experiencing? And this mother said yes and meant it because she was still hopeful that even though we were not using the terminology at that time about this powerful upstream battle that this woman had been fighting for a long time, she still felt that fighting that current would ultimately bring her daughter to the joy that she was seeking. And we are saying that until you turn and go with the flow, you will never find it. And that in the death experience, you really have turned and gone with the flow. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't want her back, and I wouldn't want her back in the pain. I guess the other part of my question is, is how do you understand 40 years of such pain? Well, what you understand is that she was not really unique in it, that she was like so many people. She'd been trained to fight the current. In other words, you have to understand that even as we're having this conversation that is beginning to feel so normal to you, this conversation would not feel normal with the majority of the people right. on the planet. In other words, the majority of the people in your nation would really take issue with what we have just spoken just now about your mother's death. Many of them would want to damn her to hell forever. And they would want to make an example of her, of what others should not do. But they know not about the eternal nature of their being. When you find those thoughts that you are pushing so hard against, we want you to feel the intensity of the separation between that thought and who you really are and what you really are knows, you see. And so don't try to figure it out. In the, in, in I do, guess that's what it is. In, I've been trying to figure it out. In doing so, you either have to blame her or blame your father uh, or blame yourself yeah. or blame society or blame her parents or blame. And, and in doing so, all you do is buck the current that mm -hmm. makes you more separated from who you are and ultimately could bring you to the same place of looking for a faster way of relief, you see. Mm. So, no, what, I won't be doing that. I'm okay. Yes, you will. Oh. <laughs> Everyone does. Yeah, it Every just depends what it is, you right? See, but most of you, most of you have to get run over by a really big truck. <laughs> and then you say, well, now I have an excuse. Yeah. Or you contract a disease and you say, I don't want to go, but I must. Yeah. Everything that happens to everyone is done to self by self. And all of you are going to die. So stop fussing over those that just did it quicker. More soon, lovelies. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hekka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. 
It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Holm, Mark Passio, John Soraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com. Immaterial. 